0: they have come to encourage somebody toward a certain agility necessary to lead in this unprecedented world and in uncertain times. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you stand up in me, stand up in us, O God, and may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will fall on this word I've studied, now it's in your hands. You've brought people into this space. And I pray, oh God, that the Holy Spirit will speak expressly to particular people in particular situations at this particular time. In Jesus' name we pray. And every believing heart whisper, amen. For those of you who are first-year students, who is that? Last year, this time, you were embarking upon your senior year in high school. When you were planning on choosing a university, you didn't think it would involve wearing masks and social distancing. For those of you who are returning to the university, how many of you are returning? Good. You could have never expected that your second, third, or final year would be like this. Question rings in all of our minds, where do we go from here? As the president said in our meeting this morning, I don't think he minds me repeating, but he talked about the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) Uh, You have COVID, you have social unrest, and you're right in the middle of a very important election. And this is a very difficult time. The question becomes for us believers, where do we go from here? Here we are in the midst of a global pandemic. Here we are in Minneapolis, Minnesota, ground zero for one of the one of history's most intense social uprisings our world has ever seen. May 25th, 2020 is a date for the books. The name George Floyd didn't mean much until that day. Officer Derek Chauvin held his knee on George's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds until George breathed his last breath. When the world saw the video, it struck a moral nerve. And social unrest exploded. More than a hundred days later, people are still protesting. There has also been more civil violence since then. But let's be clear. The Black Lives Matter protests are not merely about George, Breonna Taylor, Rashad Brooks, Ahmad Aubrey, Sandra Bland, Jacob Blake, Tamir Rice, Atatiana Jefferson, Michael Brown, Philando Castile, Botham Jean, and so many others. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. helps us with this. In the book, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community, King says the cause of a demonstration is the existence of some form of exploitation or oppression that has made it necessary for men and women of courage and goodwill to protest evil. In other words, evil must be protested. Somebody say amen. Amen. Not only in society, but also in the church. It seems ironic that the current protests are in the middle of a pandemic. You remember that October the 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the Catholic Church's door in Wittenberg, Germany. The preacher's bold protest happened in the middle of the great bubonic plague. Luther's protest catapulted what we now know as the great Protestant Reformation. In other words, we, you and I, for the most of us, we embody a faith that is a faith of protest. The world, as they knew it, changed. The bubonic plague eventually ended, but life and Christian history changed forever. Today, the world, the word change is key. Six months of COVID-19 has revealed to us that change is not temporary. We are on the precipice of a new normal. The world would not be the same as it used to be. But the word of the Lord to you is that we are not only staring in the face of a new normal. We are staring in the face of a change in your life's story. God, this is a prophetic word for somebody, God is pivoting you in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of social pandemonium. For several years now, you have been exploring your own gifts and developing your own plans. You thought you had a grasp of who you are and what you're called to do. But this moment, I wish I could scream it like we did in the old normal <laughs> but this moment in your life is a defining moment it is watch this it is a moment of revelation a moment a revelation a moment a revelation where God's going to show you something about you that you'd never even noticed God's going to show, show you something about yourself that defines you, that even your limitations are going to become your greatest asset. I'm a witness. As a little boy who couldn't read by the third grade, according to statistics, you can't read on part in the third grade. You're already on a pipeline to prison. A little boy who had a speech impediment. I was thrown into a special ed class as a young boy. When my dad, who was a Pentecostal preacher and a teacher, high school teacher at the public schools, decided to to start a school at our church, pull me out of the public school, and put me into a Christian school, I had to start all over. And the little boy who couldn't read by the third grade now has written nine books. The little boy who couldn't speak now travels speaking. Why? Because I had a moment of revelation. And everything the enemy meant for evil, God was getting ready to turn it around. God getting ready to turn it around because he was creating a defining moment, a moment of self-revelation. First thing I want to talk about here is big dreams and great expectation. And I want to consider Ezekiel's life. He was born into a family of priests. His Grandfather was a priest. His dad was a priest. Ezekiel's setup was an automatic job security. He knew who he was. He knew uh, he he knew he was called to do something and he knew what that was to be a priest. He had his eyes on temple priesthood. At around 25 years old, the priest went uh, to something like a priesthood university for three years to prepare for their appointment at the temple. It's not clear if Ezekiel had finished his studies if he had already joined the Jerusalem temple staff. But what is clear is that the bottom fell out of the young priest's life in 597 BCE. Nebuchadnezzar attacked Judah. Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylon. He attacked Judah and captured King Jehoiakim. And many others. Ezekiel was among the Jews captured and forced into Babylonian captivity. Ten years later, in 587 BCE, the Babylonians deported more Jews into Babylonian exile. Then they burned down the city and its temple in the middle of the summer that year. That was a sudden break of normalcy. What do you do when your life hits the wall? What do you do when you're at a breaking point? What do you do when everything you planned goes awry? Life can be so uncertain, so fickle, so unprecedented, and sometimes life will squeeze you so tight you think you're literally losing your mind and even dying. Can I get a witness up in your own today? We are creatures of habit. We plan and expect, expect our plans to work out. And when things don't work out the way we expect, we grieve the loss of what we had in mind. The worst kind of loss, and my bishop often says it, is the, the loss of what you had in mind. It's a sudden breakdown of normalcy, and it creates anxiety and depression for some of us. Some of my greatest challenge, I'll be a little transparent because I want to help somebody, is my own bout with depression in my life. My own bout with anxiety in my life. Not too long ago, I had to go get an MRI on my back. And I knew I suffered with anxiety and and depression. And anybody know about an MRI? Now I've been in one of those little things before. But this time I went in that MRI little tunnel, I literally freaked out. I freaked out so bad that I climbed out of the machine screaming, you, would, you should have seen me. I was laughing at me, but I was genuinely afraid but I climbed out of that thing and the guy said are you okay? I said no, I'm not okay, I'm not okay I had such anxiety attack and I knew it was because of the larger societal problems that were pressuring me down that drove me to the point that something that I had done before I could not do easily because I was suffering deep down inside of me from anxiety that was manifesting itself because I felt the world was crumbling in on me. Every day I was in my house Zooming meetings 10 hours a day, and now I'm putting to this MRI machine, I felt like I was going to fall apart. Does anybody know what it means to feel like you're going to fall apart? My God. Have you ever felt that everything you worked for was now coming down and crumbling and that everything that you expected was now disappearing, and you felt like your life was at its wit's end. And yes, young people do feel that way. It's not just people who've lived a while, but even young people today are suffering from suicidality and depression and going, seem like you don't know whether you're going or coming because normalcy has broken in. You want normalcy so bad. You'll pay for it if you could. Even if we... Didn't like the way things were sometimes about something about interruption and expectation that lands us in grief. I've worked on city projects where we're trying to help people in the inner city to get better places to live. And I've always tried to explain to city council there in Norfolk that your greatest challenge, uh, you, you got a challenge with the broader society. But sometimes there is a you have to be sensitive to the fact that although this is not ideal living, this is home. And when it's home, if it's a shack, my granddad um, uh, fought in World War II, got out, couldn't access the GI Bill. So my my grandmother's mother gave him money because she sold moonshine. And she was (laughs) she sold moonshine and she she put my great grandfather out because she said he was lazy and she built her own. Uh, her some little rooms on her house, and she had the african American um, guys who came on the railroad work on the railroad to 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 rent from her house the little houses rooms that she had built herself because she was entrepreneurial and she knew that she so she was considered a wealthy black lady in the neighborhood, so people borrowed money from her and my grandfather came out of the world war two and he had a wife and kids, but he couldn't access the GI Bill because although it was promised to the veterans, uh, the African-Americans because of redlining and not access to, to the wealth that was available to them, he couldn't access it. So she, loan, she gave him. She didn't loan it. She gave him the money to build his own little house. And Granddaddy stayed in that house till he died in his 80s in 2010. When we tried to get Granddaddy to move out of that house, he said, God gave me that hut and I'm going to keep my hut because he had an emotional connection to home. So when you're displaced from home, there's a certain kind of anxiety even if you're promised something better, there's an emotional connection to home that you just can't bulldoze your home just because you think it looks like a shack. Cuz if I leave home, where is home? Where is home? Some of you are here at school, and you're suffering from this strain of leaving home. That's a real thing. Something about the interruption of expectation that lands us in grief. Have you ever grieved the loss of what you had in mind? It's not that you don't think you can get another boyfriend. It's just that you had dreamt of a future with that guy. Your heart and emotions were in the dream. Then you broke up. The marriage may not have been great, but you were holding on to the wild wish that things would turn around. And then they didn't. It fell apart. You grieved so hard because what you expected crashed and burned. Sisters and brothers, this is the story of Ezekiel. He can relate to us. Ezekiel lived through a time of political and social turbulence. His life's normalcy was suddenly disrupted. His dreams, what he expected, and his career all went down the drain. Ezekiel had a meltdown. Can you believe that the man who later became a major prophet in Hebrew history was frustrated, sad, and angry? According to Ezekiel chapter number 5, God was disappointed. And angry with the children of Israel for their sins, and in Ezekiel 3 and 14, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the man of God, was bitter, frustrated and disappointed. Like many of us today, Ezekiel was undoubtedly wondering what in the world is going on. He says that he sat, spent seven days among the exiles at Tel Aviv, who lived by the river of Chabar, near modern-day Iraq. Those of you who have endured pain, been through disappointment, I have, had to deal with a broken family, maybe even had to deal with rape and molestation. And you want to do God's will, but you can't understand how it is that life has been so hard. You are bitter, frustrated, and disappointed. Well, sisters and brothers, Ezekiel understands. And you are here. Can you just take a moment to say bitter, frustrated, disappointed, but I'm here. Oh, that's something to shout about right there. Bitter, frustrated, disappointed, discombobulated reality, social turbulence, pandemic, but I'm here. Oh, take take a moment right now, lift your hands and just thank God for being here. I just want to thank God for being here growing up in the sanctified church we had testimony service and they always told the little children you got to testify, get up and testify we used to get up and say thank God for being here (laughs) Ah, sometimes we had nothing else to say but now the meaning of thank God for being here means something different when 180,000 people are dead due to COVID-19 not counting the other diseases that take people out thank God for being here The resounding question is, where do we go from here? Social unrest that reveal unexpected purpose. The question today echoes in Martin Luther King Jr.'s book, Where Do We Go From Here? But the meaning of the question is deeply rooted in biblical history. By 593 BCE, Ezekiel came to grips with his new normal. He discovered that God had another plan. That's a word for you. God has another plan. For years, Ezekiel thought he was a priest, but God planned his next 22 years as a prophet. Who would have thought that the young priest would become a prophet? Ezekiel knew how to be a priest, but he didn't know how to be a prophet. He had family support as a priest. What does it mean to be a prophet? Nobody in his family had been to the University of Prophets, but Ezekiel said, the hand of the Lord. I got to tell you, when I was studying and preparing for this sermon, I just broke into tears as soon as I read that passage. Because the Lord said that my hand is upon you, Antipas. And I want you to tell the folks at North Central University, the hand of the Lord is upon you. The hand of the Lord is upon you. He said, the hand of the Lord is upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit, not by name, not by accolades, not by family tradition, but by the spirit. And the Lord, and the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, and sat me down in the middle of a valley. The hand of the Lord. You are here because the hand of the Lord is upon you. You don't feel ready, but the hand of the Lord is upon you. You might be depressed, but the hand of the Lord is upon you. You might feel unworthy, but the hand of the Lord is upon you. Then he says, he brought me. You really can't explain how you got here. You struggled with financial aid. There was one problem after the next. You have so much discouragement and obstacles, and so many obstacles, if it were up to you, you would not be here. But the Lord brought you. Anybody know what it means for the Lord to bring you? I was talking to somebody yesterday who asked me, so where are you from? I said, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. I said, there are probably more cows than people where I came from. I came from the city of rebel flags. I thought it was normal to see them everywhere. I came from a little town in a rural country, deep south Georgia, a family of eight. They, the members of the church would bring so much powdered milk to our house that when I drank real milk, I thought something was wrong with it. We say, ate so much government cheese to eat craft cheese was a luxury. You wouldn't believe it if I told you, but the hand of the Lord, oh my God, but the hand of the Lord brought me. Hallelujah. And then he said, and he sat me down In the middle of a valley. A valley is a low place. I don't know if you realize it, but we're living through a low place. Reports suggest that 30 to 40 million people will likely be evicted from their homes by the end of 2020. Depression is at an all-time high. Anxiety is the order of the day. Reports predict that 410,000 Americans are expected to succumb to COVID-19 by January 2021. Suicidality rates were already escalating. There is great trepidation that the national circumstances are pushing people against the metaphorical wall and will result in self-inflicted violence like we cannot imagine. Drug addiction has taken a firmer grip than it already had. A pastor just the other day, uh, who is also a psychologist, shared uh, that an ordained minister in our church was in need of help. He was caught with a heroin needle in his arm while a prostitute was close by. Metaphorically speaking, we find ourselves in the middle of a valley And then the text says that the valley was full of bones. Ezekiel was a fish out of water. This extraordinary and complex book of Ezekiel may be understood as a prophecy of judgment and restoration. The prophet finds himself in a valley, but the valley was not a solitary place. It was chaotic. Death was everywhere. There was no sign of life and no sign of hope. The priest found himself in what seemed to be a compromising situation. According to Leviticus 21 verses 1 through 4 and Leviticus 22 and 4, it was illegal for priests to touch the dead. So why was he here among the dead? What is the Lord showing him? Unprecedented times, sisters and brothers, called for unprecedented leadership. I want to say that again. Unprecedented times called for unprecedented leadership. God took Ezekiel to a place that he had never been to reveal to him his purpose. God wanted to show him something. I have the same question for you today. What is the Lord showing you? What is the Lord showing you? Could it be that the Lord is calling you into the valley of the shadow of death? God is most certainly calling for leaders during these extraordinary and complex times. And then the text says, he said to me, mortal, can these bones live? God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? In other words, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, are you in a valley? Where do you go from here? We will, will we meander in the Babylonian captivity in the pity party about what used to be? Do we keep the harps on the willow trees because it's hard to sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? Do we smoke dope, use narcotics, or turn to sex machines? Or do we attend to the work of the Spirit in the valley of despair? As I bring our message to a close today, I I want to raise for your deep reflection and conscientious consideration and most sincere prayers, where do we go from here? In other words, can these bones live? What a profound question. Ezekiel didn't know the answer, but he knew that God knows. And then he said, I answered Oh, Lord God, you know, there is where we go from here. There is where we go from here. We go to the God of knowledge, the, the Grand Master teacher, the prophet of prophets, the rock of ages, the super solution. Medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas said, and in this way, and I quote, and in this way, it must be said that the soul of Christ knows all things in the word. For every created intellect knows in the word, not all simply, but so many more things, the more, uh, the more perfectly it sees the word. End of quote. Aquinas helps us see that Ezekiel's words, O oh Lord God, you know, was a moment of Christological revelation. Ezekiel, looked at the chaotic situation, a society full of hopelessness, he could not rest in his own ideas. He pointed back to God's deep reservoir of knowledge. Jesus is the deep reservoir of knowledge. If we were to help our community, we need Jesus. When we don't know where to go, so God is so great Jehovah. When we live in a hopeless world, But on the cross, Christ shows us that God restores both our relationship with God and reconciles broken humanity through Christ. Hope in the power of the Spirit. If the Spirit brought us this far, the Spirit will make all things new. Listen, be courageous. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Be willing to risk reputation for righteous cause. Take leadership. As Martin Luther King Jr. puts it, to borrow his words from the book Where Do We Go From Here, quote, the church has an opportunity and a duty to lift its voice like a trumpet and declare unto the people the immorality. It must affirm that every human life is reflection of divinity and that every act of injustice mars and defaces the image of God in human beings, end of quote. The ultimate solution to the race problems lie in willingness of men and women to obey the unenforceable. Court orders and federal enforcement agencies are of an estimate value, King says. But something must touch the hearts and souls of men and women so that they will come together spiritually because it is natural and right. A vigorous enforcement of civil rights will bring an end to some civil immoralities, but it cannot bring an end to the fears, the prejudice, the pride, the irrationality, which are the barriers of a truly integrated society. These dark and demonic responses will be removed only as men and women are possessed by the invisible inner law that etches on their hearts the conviction that all women and men are sisters and brothers and that love is humankind's most potent weapon for personal and social transformation, In a quote. So where do we go from here? Can these bones live? I want to say these bones can live. Thou knowest. And the knowledge of God is being dispensed in your hearts and minds through North Central University. A Christ-based education, a spirit-filled heart is preparing you to be the solution that the world needs. So we're not just reflecting, echoing, and standing against the sideline yelling at the problem. We are part of the solution. That's why God changed Ezekiel's vocation from a priest to something that was more effective in his day. His day needed a prophet, and a prophet who would go into a valley and dare to prophesy to deadness until it comes alive again. Can you stand all over the building? That's you, sisters and brothers. That's you. God has chosen you for such a time as this. We don't just hide out till the storm passes us by. We enter into the force of the wind and we see God use us in a way that we did not expect. That's when anxiety, brother, turns into a gift because it becomes a moment of revelation. Father, I pray for these my sisters and brothers, and I pray that my broken words have spoken into our hearts and the power of your anointing has pierced our consciousness. And I pray that you sanctify us by your truth, because your word is true. I pray, O oh God, that you have spoken expressly, that even after we leave this place, that we don't leave your presence, but let the word of the Lord rule richly in our hearts and minds, and stimulate within us, a thou knowest, and are willing to activate in the presence of your knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank God.